She Almighty podcast. I'm Michaela Jackson, coach, female champion, and the founder of She Almighty, which provides coaching services and events for women all over the world. She Almighty is all about women self-empowering to be the best version of themselves and to create careers, businesses, and lives they love with positive impact. The She Almighty podcast is about amplifying the voices of women who are doing just that, who are living and leading by example, and are having a positive ripple effect as a result. I hope we will provide you with the inspiration and aspiration to be a She Almighty too. Enjoy listening. For our 10th episode, I'm chatting to Mandy Hickson, former RAF pilot and one of the UK's first female fast jet pilots. Since leaving the RAF, Mandy continued to support for the services in the volunteer reserve through flying on the air experience flight. She supported her local community as a school governor, president of her local tennis club, and as an ambassador for the Sport and Physical Activity Alliance for Hampshire County Council. If that wasn't enough, she is also on the board of trustees at the Victory Services Club London, on the advisory board for Positive Planet UK, and the Women's Entrepreneurship and Venture Incubator Programme, giving focus on encouraging entrepreneurship in non-traditional sectors. Now a keynote speaker, consultant, published author, and MD of Hickson Experience, Mandy is transferring her invaluable experience from the front line to the corporate boardroom and beyond. Her latest challenge was to climb Kilimanjaro in October 2019 on a fundraising expedition with 20 women from all walks of life. She's also a mum of two teenagers. Welcome, Mandy. Thank you very much, Michaela. Love to join you. <laughs> wow, can I just say, what a woman. What a woman. That's a nice intro. You can certainly say that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, look, um, I am so incredibly excited to have you on. Um, just reading through, I've chatted to you briefly in advance and uh, reading through your bio, um, I just can't quite get over how much one person can accomplish. So um, lots for us to delve into today. But firstly, how are you? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. I've done a good morning's exercise and a nice fresh walk, so I'm feeling yeah invigorated for the day, which is good. Brilliant. Uh, that's the way to do it, isn't it? That's uh, leading by example, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love it. I have to say, I try and squeeze in a spin class if I can every morning. And uh, yeah, if I can get a, a walk in as well in the fresh air, then it's, a, it's the perfect combination. It's a bonus. Brilliant. And, and where are you? Uh, where are you based? In Hampshire? Yeah, down in Hampshire, in Winchester, which is a lovely city to live in. So, um, yeah, we've got lots of beautiful coastal walks along like the South Downs Way and Mm. things. So, very lucky. Wonderful, indeed, indeed. And how have things been for you uh, of late? Has your world been a little bit smaller, as for most of us it has, with everything going on? Yeah, I mean, I I sort of went from being at the... So when I left the Air Force, I ended up getting to the world of speaking and uh, the, my speaking career had been going sort of from strength to strength. And I was almost sort of fully booked in events all over the world, which I was absolutely loving. Mm. I think mum of two teenage boys being away from home is the answer. And yeah, unfortunately, of course, all of the events world stopped mm-hmm. overnight. But yeah, I've been gradually building it back up. I've been doing a lot of things online. Um, 
you know, I've been filling my time with other things like sort of my book, which we'll sort of, I'm sure we'll talk about. Mm, sure. definitely. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. And, and that concept of the world getting smaller, but it has in some ways, but actually the one thing that's really come out of it for myself is that it makes you realize just how global you mm. can be because you're not having to travel to all these places. So, I mean, next week I'm speaking at a school in uh, Victoria, in Australia, and wow. I think that's fantastic, isn't it? Now, not in a million years would I have dreamt of flying all the way to Australia to do a speech. Mm. But now it's considered a normal medium to do it over Zoom or Teams or, you know, obviously yeah. any platform that we do. But I think that's fantastic. So, yeah, I've been reaching a much more global audience, actually, since lockdown began. Yeah, I mean, that's the remarkable thing, I guess, in a way, isn't it? You can be in more places and reach more people. Um, and, yeah, a testament to us being... Uh, truly in a, a globalized kind of world um, and having to pivot, right? I mean, I've absolutely been doing the same with my business and we think about how we can do things differently and how we might manage our time differently and energy differently, perhaps when we come out of this and, and how we can do things differently or, or better. Yeah. Perhaps. So no, I, I don't, I don't doubt that uh, you, <laughs> you found ways to find, to fill your time. Sorry. <laughs> I think so, that's a really good yeah. point actually managing your energy differently. Mm. I think there's that big, there's a lot in the space at the moment where people are talking about, obviously, you know, we're now working from home. So how do we have it that we don't live in the workplace? Mm. So there's a real distinction of people quite like, I think, the feeling of they leave the house and they go to work and they, mm. they can put on the different head. You can, on the way home, decompress so that you end up coming home in a different state to the one that you perhaps leave work in. Um, and if that's in your office, I know I was something I really struggled with in the heart of lockdown when both of my children were off school. And going from an argument downstairs of you must do your French to, mm. oh my goodness, I'm on the stage live in front of 400 people in a minute. Yes. Please, can you leave the room? You know, and yeah. there was no differential. There was none of that sort of like moment of this is home, this is work. And I think that's where a lot of people perhaps struggled a bit more. Yes, I can imagine. And, and I'm with you. And it's a very strange kind of concept in a way, isn't it? You can be, like you said, you dance this one minute, then you're upstairs in your room the next. And you've really got to show up on screen and you've got all of these people the other side of your, but you're in your normal space in your yeah. kind of, in your spare room or your office or whatever it is, uh, looking at the screen, which you do day in, day out, but you've got all these people behind it. And it's, uh, it's, it's very strange. It, it really is. I felt that. And the well. other one is when you turn off, so you're there immersed in this really big meeting and you can see perhaps a hundred people of tiny little tiled faces on yeah. the screen and you go, <laughs> well, thank you very much then. Bye. Yeah. Okay, you just walk downstairs yeah. <laughs> and you've just done a big performance you think gosh right I'm left with nothing I sort of feel a bit in the anticlimactic yeah very very much an anticlimactic yeah. actually it's an odd feeling yeah mm. but it's also I don't know about you I found it strange almost in um sort of switching off because you can be quite wired can't you when you're on technology yeah. sort of all day long and then you sort of come off it but you know, I was running my uh, mastermind earlier this is this week on Monday and I just, you don't switch off so easily when you yeah. go to bed. And I know that can happen when you're doing live performances as well. Don't get me wrong, but I think that switching off thing and how we manage our screen time and, and energy, like you're, yeah. you were saying, it's uh, adjusting, isn't it? To that. It is well. definitely, definitely. I mean, early on in lockdown, I was doing quite a lot of training sessions with um, a large big blue chip company over in the States. And of course it was Eastern seaboard time. So we were starting their morning session would be afternoon and then the second session would be the early evening for us finishing at nine o'clock and I'd 
it was while we were getting used to Zoom and we were, there was a lot in this presentation. It was a two and a half hour training session and we were swapping presenters. We were in breakout rooms. We had videos, we had whiteboards oh, going. Gosh. And of course I'd never used it before. So I was there trying to work it out and I could only describe it in those early <laughs> days of like flying a tornado, like flying yeah. a fast because actually you're processing, you're constantly looking at different areas thinking what's it doing why is it doing this you know <laughs> what why does this thing come up why can't i find this box now yeah. and your brain was in the overload and i used to finish it and to say wired would be an understatement i used to go downstairs and be sitting like a <laughs> spotlight you know rabbit in the spotlight yeah. with my eyes wide open <laughs> you're right so i was like yeah yeah, yeah. Bzz, you know it's incredible really Gosh, I mean, we don't know what, what's hit us, but imagine Zoom, which started with 60-odd thousand users or something, right, in January, and then skyrocketed to the, the millions by... Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> I wish I was in that company. <laughs> I know. I know. Gosh, but yeah, don't talk to me about breakout rooms. I've, I've been uh, through that rigmarole as well, but they're fun when you get the hang of them, right? And yeah, you can kind of people off. <laughs> yeah, and you suddenly arrive in a breakout room going, here yeah. I am! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know present. what? Do you know what's all the more fun though? I don't know if you've done this, being able to slip into those breakout rooms when they least expect you and you don't know that you've, uh, they don't know that you've arrived there and you just yeah. <laughs> take well, I have had that. And I actually had a really embarrassing one because um, <laughs> I was being popped into breakout rooms because right. they wanted me to appear. And so I'd done a speech and then they were all discussing my speech and I kept on arriving in these breakout rooms with the game. Well, when Mandy said that, and I was thinking, Oh gosh, I, I need to let them know I'm here because what happens if they say, yeah. oh God, I didn't like the way she said this or something like that. And I'm, and I'm there listening. So I was going, hi everyone, I'm in the room. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, oh, but look, amazing. And, and you know what, just a little nod, you said that you're doing a talk um, to a school in Victoria in, in Australia. I actually lived in Melbourne for a few years. So, oh uh, yes. Yeah, it's in Melbourne. Yeah, lovely. So amazing that you can touch people that far away and young people as well and I'm sure we'll get on to that because yeah. we've got lots to get through so um so I'd love to kick off because you know time is valuable and um you know just before we do so I'd just like to give a, a quick shout out to my friend Andrian who actually met you whilst he was speaking at a conference she was Caring yes, or kind right. of something like yeah, that. Right? Yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. The lubricants. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and she subsequently connected us, didn't she? And uh, so I just wanted to say thank you very much, Andriana, for helping to make this happen. Because I like to give yeah. our listeners the context around how these kind of, how these come to be, you know, our, our podcast connections. So, um, so yes, thank you. But look, Mandy, let's go back to the start of your career. I mean, you served in the RAF for 17 years in what you described as, you know, a dream job that took years of ambition, training and commitment. Tell us more about your journey and your story. Yeah, so I first got into flying when I was 13, actually, just through the wow. Air Training Corps. Um, and I joined it because, not because I had a passion for flying, but because my mum pointed out I went to an all-girls school and it might be a good opportunity to meet some boys. So <laughs> under that pretense, I joined and thought, <laughs> yes, this is great. Um, and I flew while I was there. And literally, sort of the second I got airborne, I thought, oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. But there was a really big barrier because women weren't allowed to be pilots at that time. And I, in fact, joined the Air Training Corps on the first day they accepted women into the Air Training Corps, girls, should I say. 
So, you know, we were still in a very different world to the one we're in now. Um, and I thought I was going to become a policewoman. That's what I had my heart set on. I've obviously got something about people in uniform. Mm, yeah. um, <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so basically I carried on. I got a flying scholarship from there. I went off to university and I joined a club there called the University Air Squadron. I carried on flying while I was there. And I was in my second year at uni and they changed the rules allowing women to join. So I applied and then I failed all the tests. Um, but you're allowed to take them twice. So I waited a year, went back and sat them the second final time and failed them all again. And that was really the end of the line for me. You know, at that point, I could go no further. Um, and the Air Force offered me a commission then to become an officer as an air traffic controller. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I had no desire to follow that chosen career path. But, mm. you know, in the back of my mind, I just kept on thinking, you know, you need a foot in the door. And if, if I'm not even in, you know, you know, if I'm not even on the pitch, you know, I'm not even, I haven't got, my, you know, a chance to score a goal. Oh. So I, after, after a lot of guidance from um, the boss of the University Air Squadron, um, he couldn't understand why I'd failed the test as well. And he suggested I joined and that we took it further because maybe the process was flawed. Oh. And <clears throat> when he, we challenged the system, we found out that a lot of women were failing these tests and, They'd only just opened the doors to women. They couldn't understand why the majority of women that took the test failed them. And yet a, a larger, much larger proportion of men were passing. And so in the end, they decided to take me on as a test case to see basically how far I'd get through the flying training system before I failed, I think. But um, yeah, I was really lucky. But it was, it was one of the best life lessons I've ever had is that, you know what, if you just accept the status quo, then you can never actually move forward you know you need people i would never consider myself to be pioneering and you know i just was doing something that i wanted to do but looking back on it you know if i just accepted the process and said well mm. i failed then i would have had a very different life uh, even though the air force was potentially missing out on a lot of very very capable women because the tests were pretty much designed by men for men for male pilots um, and men and women do process things differently and they did go on to change the tests and we saw then after that a much more equal footing um, proportionally of, of women and men that passed um, so yeah I was, I was very lucky to have been given that opportunity um, and then I joined the Air Force went through all the training and eventually got to fly the Tornado GR4 which is the bomber v v version of the two tornadoes on the front line um, and I served in the theatre of war in Iraq, I did three tours of duty over Iraq. So <clears throat> that's pretty much my story to get to the front line anyway. What an amazing story. And I think uh, there's a few lessons in there, isn't there? But I mean, um, firstly, I guess, do what you want to do. That You know, it's interesting that you said you didn't consider yourself to be pioneering, but you really wanted something. And with that came the persistence and having that foot in the door and not giving up on that yeah. sort of dream that you had. Um, and then also questioning the process, right? Because often processes and systems are flawed or they don't, um, you know, they, they favor others within that. Um, and I mean, fair play that, that the guy that in your life that sort of said, look, we'll, we'll take you on, perhaps the, the process is flawed. I mean, sounds like he was quite a remarkable guy to do that. As well yeah he, he was actually and I've reached out to him recently because he's actually mentioned it in my book and I you know I said to him you know I found him on Facebook and we got in touch and and actually I talk about him all the time as well because I think if we don't have people that believe in us at certain mm -hmm. stages of our lives then you know we need that you, you know when we talk about things like mentoring 
you know, within business, uh, you know, how often do people not have a mentor or mm. they, they don't believe in themselves, but somebody else can see their huge potential. But because of many things we can talk, you know, I don't know, imposter syndrome, all of those good self-sabotage, all of those mm. things, we don't fulfill our, our full potential. And it's really frustrating, but sometimes an other person can see that. And I think it behaves all of us as we, you know, progress up the career ladder to actually look out for those people below and actually spot the talent and go the extra mile for them around, you know, for those people. Absolutely, because you could be the difference for someone, couldn't you? You can help to shape their path, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's, that's leadership as well, right? Being able to think it's beyond, you know, being able to support people in that way and raise them up. Um, yeah. So amazing. And, you know, I mean, you were in one of the UK's first female fast jet pilots, which is just incredible from women not being you know, loud in the court to you being one of, of the first and then to go on to be one of the UK's first female fast jet pilots. What an incredible achievement. I mean, what did that feel like for you at the time and, and what does that mean to you now? Well, again, it's, it's really interesting because when you're going through the process, you know, I went through with pretty much a, a core group of, of guys. Um, I was pretty much mo mostly the only woman on most of the courses as I went through. Um, and I didn't particularly see myself as different. Now, of course, mm. I was different because I was a woman, but these were just my friends. They were like yeah. brothers in arms. And mm. you're just progressing. You're just doing the very best that you can do on each course. And you're hoping that you'll pass it. And then you set your sights on the next course and you hope you pass it. And you're working as hard as you can these guys don't see you as being any different and it was not therefore it just felt normalized the the time it really hit home to me was when we got out of the training bubble and we were then on the front line so i then got posted to a squadron i was their first female fast jet pilot that had arrived on that squadron they'd had a, a female nav very briefly but um i was their first pilot and i walked in and you know there were all the screensavers for example were naked women and the next day, all the screensavers were naked men. And the next day, they were all landscapes. So, but, you know, this is, we're talking 20 years ago when I got down to Two Squadron at Morham. And it was a very different Air Force to the Air Force we know now, where we have inclusivity, we have diversity and inclusion. Um, those were words that we just weren't using at the time. And I think it took the guys on my squadron a while to, you know, get used to me being around uh, and me and vice versa, really, because I felt suddenly outside of my comfort um, bubble there because I'd been with these same people in training and suddenly I was with people I'd never met before and I was just, you know, a, a random woman turning up and there was a, perhaps a little bit of animosity from some of them as well. Mm. It took certainly a while for them to get used to it. And I and for me as well, because obviously you don't realise it, but we, we get that needing to morph into the group. And at one point we went on a detachment and I looked down and all the men were wearing a blazer, a pair of chinos and a blue shirt checked of some description mm -hmm. and neck shoes. And guess what I was wearing? I was wearing the same thing. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I've become a man, <laughs> you know. Um, so I thought I'd better, better sort that out and change, you know. But it, you just you just become part of the of the group, I think. Mm. Um, and do you think that was because you were trying to kind of assimilate into and fit in to the group that? Yeah. Yeah. I think we all do I think you know you can see somebody in a workplace they'll arrive and they'll be a, perhaps a bit quieter and then they'll realize that it's quite a lively group and they really if they want to fit in they've got to perhaps change their behavior ever so slightly and we see it all the time mm. um you know 
it's, it's, it, even within the school playground, you know, you see people demonstrating different behaviours that are not their own behaviours because they want to fit in. Yeah. Mm. But what I find interesting, you know, you said actually when you were in training and, and those guys felt like your friends or they were your friends, they were your, your brothers in arms. Um, it didn't actually feel like you were doing anything spectacular at, at that point, you know, but I think perhaps the message there is don't underestimate what you're doing by showing up and, and progressing right in that moment. Because yeah. even if you're not going to be the first, you know, the first female basket uh, pilot or whatever it is, you, you can still achieve extraordinary things, even when you don't realize that when you're on that journey, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know what, we, we all need people to be pioneers. You need people to be pushing the boundaries and, and changing different ideas and perceptions and people. Um, I never realised that that was me. And, and, and we had, Joe jo was the very first female fast jet pilot, so Joe Salter. And um, I'd always looked up to Joe. I, I never really met her when I was in the Air Force, but it's only afterwards that we've become really good friends oh. um, because I've sort of followed in her footsteps as well. But you know, she took all of it in her stride and I have huge respect for her. And, you know, I sort of then sort of, there was a, a final girl that came through, Kirsty, and Kirsty Murphy ended up flying in the Red Arrows. And she was the third, I think, female fast ship pilot flying the Tornado GL4. And um, it was really interesting because I got together with Kirsty, I actually went flying with the Red Arrows and had a fantastic day. And, and Kirsty was one of the pilots at the time, an amazing, amazing lady. And I find her a real inspiration as well. And I sort of said, oh, you know, thinking that she was of my generation, but she said, oh no, I really looked up to the likes of you and Joe. And I was like, really? You know, she said, yeah, we needed you guys. You were the ones that cutting the path for us all and pushing ahead. And I thought, I thought we were the same age sort of feel to it, you know, yeah. you, you sort of forget that, you know, you need role models and we all need role models in life. And um, you might not think you're being one, but you, you, there will be people that look up to you um, and therefore it's important that you, you know, you behave as a role model. Mm. I think that's such a special thing. And, you know, you've actually, you've made history books and like you said, you've carved the path for lots of other women um, in the force. And I, that's just a, an amazing thing. So I, I hope you do feel a sense of, and I'm sure you do, a sense of pride in that, you know? Yeah, I, I very much do now. I, I think, mm. look, you, I don't think you realise it at the time. I mean, I was really, don't get me wrong. I was so proud when I got yeah. my wings, but it wasn't for being a woman. It was just because I got my wings, you know? Yeah. And it's only now really when you look back and I think on leaving as well, when you leave the forces, you realise just how privileged you were to have had the opportunities that you've had. And I absolutely love the Air Force. You know, um, I had ups and downs in my career as well, sort of, you know, about trying to take different jobs and things like that. But ultimately, the Air Force was an incredible employer. And I think once you're in something like a, a military organisation like the Air Force, it's part of being a family. Mm, that's lovely. That's really lovely. And look, I mean, our lives and, and jobs are, are filled with responsibility, but not many of us can say we've taken on that of, um, you know, a family like the army, but also that of a multi-million pound fighter jet, you know, no pressure, no pressure mm -hmm. there. But that was the, that, like you said, that was the tornado GR4, right? Yeah. It, what was that like? And, you know, I understand, you know, you said you did three tours of um, Iraq, you know, and you were flying yeah. in hostile territory. Um, tell us more about that. Yeah, it was, um, it was incredible, really. So we were based in Ali al Salem, which is in Kuwait, and we were defending the no-fly zone over southern Iraq at the time. And 
yeah, it's a very strange one. So when the army deploy to um, a theatre of conflict, then they are seeing a very different environment. Now for ourselves, it is different, but you're still in your office. So you're still surrounded by your cockpit. Um, you've been practicing the different scenarios in the simulator. So again, you're sort of quite familiar, but mm. one thing I hadn't appreciated was the heat. So we got out there on the first time, it was sort of, I think it was reaching up to 48 degrees centigrade. Now, that is like working with a hairdryer and there was no air conditioning in the tornado so you'd sit in this this, this air, aircraft and you'd start it all up and to put some perspective on what you're wearing <clears throat> excuse me you've got um you have to wear long johns thermal long johns under oh your gosh. flying suit because if there's a fire that these fire the um, flying suit is fire retardant but if you've not got cotton layer in between that your skin would boil underneath so basically you have to put this level and between the two this layering so you're sitting in a greenhouse at 48 degrees oh centigrade with the top shut with we have uh, thermals then we have our flying suit and over the top of that you have a g suit which is um anti-g basically stops you from um, blacking out under g-force uh on the top half you've got obviously the, the flying suit which is an all-in-one outfit and then on top of that you have something called a life support jacket and then you have a combat survival waistcoat which has got things like a gun gold bullion maps flares a radio and they're all in these pockets so you're wearing all of this kit and you are boiling and you know when you finally get airborne and the air conditioning kicks in it's there going the sweet sort of breath of that cold air um and it was challenging it was challenging i'm in in all my tours you know i saw different levels of um of um of that action out there should we say on one occasion i did get shot at by a surface to air missile which oh locked into my engines <gasps> it was um launched in heat seeking mode and it was nighttime and basically we were just about to come back over the border having completed the mission it was about two o'clock in the morning and basically my navigator spotted it launch and lock onto us and so we, we carried out a maneuver and we managed to evade the missile um <clears throat> but because i was i was um, lead, I happened to be leading my first ever combat mission that night. So although you're the most junior within your team, which I was, every decision was going to be made by me. And so it's this real interesting sort of concept when you consider leadership and how we develop our teams for the future and leaders of the future mm. is that people assume that the military is very hierarchical and that the senior people always make the decisions. But actually, in the heat of the day, when you've been tasked to do a job, the if it's the junior pilot that's leading, they carry on leading. And my boss was in my formation, as was the executive officer. And yet I made all the decisions. So, yeah. you know, when we think, when I hear businesses talking about people lacking the ability to make decisions and be held accountable for their decisions, it really frustrates me because I think the only way that you create that is to create a really empowered workforce um, and you allow people to make decisions early on in their careers but allow them to know that they are going to be held accountable, that the, that, that level of accountability sits with them. And yeah. if the boss is constantly leaping in and telling somebody what to do, rather than empowering somebody else to make the decisions, then you're never going to get a, um, an empowered workforce. Mm. That is, um, yeah, it's a really important point. I, I watched um, a, a TED talk recently, it was, again, part of this mastermind I was running and it was by, I think his name's Jim Whitehouse, former CEO of, of Delta Airlines. And he was saying, he, he sort of uh, described himself as a, a re recovering know-it-all CEO because he realized <laughs> when he went then to another company, to Red Hat, a tech company, 
he saw that there was, you know, first of all, he was going in and seeing the lay of the land and he saw that, you know, that workforce was very empowered and to make those kind of decisions, his job was to create the context and the the environment so they could feel that way. So they could actually truly work as a team and people could bring their strengths and experience and perspectives and, and all that kind of stuff into play. So, you know, that's, it's such an important point and I guess that's what you train for as well right you go through such rigorous training that you know although like you said you're in that cockpit your environment was familiar but the factors weren't and everything else going on so you have to be reactive don't you um in in those situations you do you you are reactive but one thing I would say is that you are trained and trained and trained so basically you've yeah You've been in the simulator, you've practiced scenarios before you get airborne, you do a full threat brief. Um, you are always trying to increase your what we call situational awareness. So pushing the boundaries of what is happening and, and, and trying to project that into the future. So what's happening now and how will that impact what's going to happen, you know, if we were to predict the future. And by doing that, you you keep this high level of situational awareness. And it means that you perhaps aren't as reactive that you can be a bit more proactive because you're perhaps seeking a different route you're perhaps thinking ahead of the game yes. um and, and that's the same in business isn't it you know it's amazing how if we've not done the planning and we are always reactive then we're oh. always on a back footing but yeah. the companies yeah. that seem to be doing the best even now are the ones that have been able to show that agility that they have gone do you know what we've had something in the pipeline but you know what we're going to accelerate it up forwards oh. so it is that the ones that have projected themselves as to what would the future look like and done and really done really good threat briefs as to what are our biggest threats to our businesses and things. And, mm-hmm. you know, those are the ones that we're seeing as successful at the moment. Yeah. I, you know, I can only imagine how much value you are having for all the businesses that you are doing talks for and consulting for and all that kind of stuff. And we'll come to that a little bit more down the track, but, you know, can I just say, you know, you talking about those scenarios and and the challenges, it puts a lot of our workplace challenges into perspective, doesn't it? Really, yeah, <laughs> you know, it, does <laughs> it really does. Um, yeah, I'm not complaining. That's for sure. I'm not complaining. Right. But um, you know, switch scene a little bit. Although these things are very much interlinked. You know, you're a mum of two, Jack and Jamie, um, who you had during your career in in the RAF is that right you had them both when you were still in in the RAF what was it it like being a a mother in the military and in such a high pressure job and and did you have to make any difficult career decisions along the way yeah hugely actually I'm a real believer when you sort of say oh work-life balance can you have it all firstly I'd ask the question of what is all yeah Um, so I desperately wanted to be a mum and um during the end of my first tour I got pregnant but I didn't know I was pregnant and so actually I carried on flying and basically I have to say a baby and being hit in the stomach by a a g-suit is not conducive so I actually ended up miscarrying which you know was it was fine it wasn't a a huge thing you know I um but it meant that I it brought to perspective of of the reality of what I was doing because if I did want to have children, that was not the environment to do. And I was just hitting the end of my first tour. So I actually asked, could I progress onto a ground tour, which um, had been set up for me for my maternity leave anyway, when I'd found out I was pregnant. So I moved into this ground tour, but not being pregnant, which felt really devastating. So I was thinking, oh my goodness, it felt like a noose around my neck. Um, But it was a really big career choice. Anyway, I had my two children um, in within a two year period. So they're just 17 months apart. And then at the end of that, 
basically the natural place for me, if you weren't taking into account the fact I've just got two children, is that I would now head straight back to the front line. But my husband was an airline pilot. I lived in Winchester and the front line would involve either going out to Afghanistan almost immediately on a frontline squadron, or the other option was going up to RAF Valley in Anglesey as an instructor. And I said to them, you know, this is not going to work for me. Um, and I found a job actually, which was based down in um, Salisbury, Boscombe Down. And it had to be a tornado pilot that did it. I was fulfilling a key role that was required by the Air Force. And so I contacted my posting officer who's basically in charge of your career and I said I found a job that'll work for me and he responded with if you take that job you will never get promoted that's the death knell of your career you have to go back to the front line or you have to become an instructor that is the only way you'll progress and it was in a stark moment where I basically sat there and thought you know what do I do because you know I, I wanted to obviously get promoted I'd you know done pretty well in the air force up to that point i'd while i was on maternity leave i'd done all the requisites for getting promoted all the ground tour duties and things like that and suddenly i was being told you know you have to make a decision but i sat there and i thought i've got to make the right decision for me and it was it was at that point taking the job that i was basically signing up to never see career progression in and you know what it was the right job at the right time and i always say to people now and you must have this with your coaching as well, Michaela, is mm -hmm. you've got to do what's right for you at the right moment for you. Yeah. you know, going to become a, a frontline fast jet pilot again at that point was not the right thing to do. I had a four-month-old and a 21-month-old at home. Mm -hmm. That was just not physically possible to be posted out to Afghanistan. So I had to make the right choices, even though with the stark realisation that perhaps I not, might not progress in my career, um, which was a tough one. Gosh, yeah, I just can't even imagine. Um, and I guess what do you have to summon in that? I mean, is it courage? I mean, I guess for you, it felt like you, know, you had your babies. They were your priority. And, and perhaps that made the decision. I don't know. Did it make it any easier? It, it sounded yeah. like a pretty hard decision, but you, you knew what you needed to do at the time. Yeah, you do. And I think, I think most people in that position would have made the same choices as me. I mean, I do have some friends who have stayed in the Air Force, have been promoted. In fact, one of them has been just been promoted to the highest ranking female air crew ever. And I went through training with her, Soraya Marshall. Wow. I'm so proud of her. Yeah. And she did make a choice to stay in, as did her husband. So they're both progressing incredibly well. So watch this space for the, uh, the, top, of the top of the Air Force. But, um, you know, and, and they did have children um, and their parents moved down and, you know, and basically they balanced it. But, but they did have challenges. Of course they did. Um, and, you know, it's all about balancing it creating the right environment for you but making some pretty big decisions as well and you know what you can only make the right decisions for you and you can never be critical of anyone else's decisions that they are making for themselves well you know needless to say it doesn't seem like it's held you back anyway in living a life mm -hmm. without limits right and all the things that you've gone on to do which we will definitely get into all the stuff that you're doing at, at the moment yeah. um, but really interesting because I think a lot of women uh, might feel that way about decisions they, they might need to make either when they have children or even before they have children, sometimes before they even have partners because they're thinking yeah. about uh, maternity leave and being supported. And, and it really does, you know, I guess we think about our biological clocks and all that kind of stuff. And it, you know, without a shadow, it is different for women than it, than it is for men, isn't it? Because we yeah, are talking about those things. 
I think, I mean, I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners will have read the book by Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In. Yeah. But one thing I absolutely loved from that book, I mean, I love lots of bits, but I took oh. away from was the fact that if we don't lean in before perhaps we have children, before we get married and, and we get the career that we want to, you know, no one else is going to make you happy. No one, you've got to be happy and you've got to be in the career that you want to. Then yeah. where's the draw to go back to work? So if we back away and we start leaning out from careers before you've even had children, you know, where is that need to progress? And and I loved it. She said, it's not a career ladder anymore. It's a jungle gym. And it's such a brilliant analogy, especially if you have children, you go to a play zone. Just imagine, yeah, I'm going up the cargo netting at the moment, but I might end up in the ball pit at any moment, you know. And, you know, there were some big moves for myself, especially when I left the Air Force as to what I chose to do. Again, it was that, you know, what to do? Do you follow the norm, the gravy train? Do you just become an airline pilot like all my friends were doing? Um, but again, sometimes we need to be courageous and, and take mm-hmm. that leap of faith. And yeah, and I, I took a different path then as well. Mm. And you know what? I think it's also about our intention, isn't it? You know, for me, I decided I wanted to have my own business and I, some of the reasons behind that were that I wanted to be in charge of my professional identity um, and that I could build my family around having my business. And now I'm putting that into practice. You know, I've got a nearly one year old and um, you know, luckily my, my husband has, has been around and has been able to support me somewhat because he's had his own business, but he, he's going back to work soon. Right. And um, But I sort of decided I want to make this work. You know, I am ambitious. I can, like you say, what is it all? But I think I can have a family and have a successful business and have the impact that I want to. And, but you know, that was a a strong intention that I've had and, and you have to take the action to back it up, don't you? And it comes with doing some work and having self-belief and that you can do it. And of course you need support along the way, but I think that intention is powerful. Absolutely, Michaela. And, and, you know, when you look at your, your past as well, you know, you, you tried lots of different jobs Mm. and you never found the one that was making you happy. So again, it's, you do try all these things out um, and you must never look at things you know, like the child that basically hates playing the violin and they give up and then eventually yes, they find me. an instrument like the trumpet <laughs> and they go, I love the trumpet. And the, the parents go, all those wasted lessons on the violin, but they weren't wasted because we only yeah. work out what we want sometimes by doing something that we don't want to do, you know, and that's a really Absolutely. interesting one. Sometimes it's a process of elimination, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It really is. I did play the trumpet, but I played it so appallingly that actually I stopped. Well, I, I was on the violin and I played that appallingly and, and broke a, a couple of bows in temper along the way. So I think that says it all, but we found our fast, yeah. yeah. regardless. Oh, brilliant. Um, but look, on the topic of, you know, challenges and obstacles and, and you know, you've sort of touched on that you've overcome many obstacles to develop the skills you needed to in in order to succeed in in the demanding career that you've had but what would you say has been your biggest challenge and and how did you overcome it being in lockdown with teenagers um (laughs) a lot of people are saying that aren't they (laughs) yeah I I don't mean that flippantly at all um do you know what I've been shot at in Iraq and I would take that over living with two teenage boys in lockdown um with all seriousness, you know, it's been really, really challenging for many people. And, you know, I think when we are in the workplace, we can control many controllables. But one thing that you can't control is, is other people's behaviours. And I think in lockdown, one of those things was really obvious to me was, 
I was getting affected by the behaviors of my children. And in the past, because I would be able to distance myself or when they were having their teenage tantrums type thing, you know, you could say, okay, that's fine. Um, I'm not going to respond to that behavior. But when you're living with it, it and, and you can't get away, which none of us could for that, that period of time. It was, it was genuinely very, very stressful. Mm. And um, I think if I look back, well, actually, no, I think going through fast jet training was probably the most stressful bit, but it was pretty much almost up there with that. And, mm. um, and parenting, I find is just as challenging because, you know, you don't know, <laughs> you don't know how to do it. You know, yeah. you're always learning. And, you know, you're right at the start of your journey with a one-year-old. And, you know, we look at our little ones and we think, you know, they are angels. And then when they become teenagers and they start answering back and it's a psychological <laughs> battle, it's, yeah. it's really hard. And especially with the, my current job, which is, you know, I'm a motivational speaker. I'm, I, I go out, I motivate people. And yet my two boys look at me and go, you couldn't motivate, you know, me to lift a finger or stack a dishwasher. And it's really funny and it's thrown back in your face. And you sort of, therefore you start to um you know actually debate oh my goodness am I good at my job you know I can't even look at my own children but of course you can't because they are the ones that don't want your help yeah but what we can do is therefore say okay I'm going to continue doing what I do to help other people but you know I genuinely think feel that this has been probably one of the most challenging periods as well um and I've always been someone that ran to a crisis and of course we were being told don't stay at home Mm, and I feel you know I think like many of us we you know, I'm in the events world and the events world stopped overnight. So oh. I wasn't then working from home. I'd built a successful multi-million pound business and it stopped, oh. you know, it literally ground to a halt overnight. And you think, and lots of people say to, oh, but you haven't been that affected because you're, you know, well, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm down to probably earning, I don't know, one twentieth of what I was earning. So yeah, I would say I've been pretty effective. Yeah. So, you know, actually having that purpose, finding that purpose, and we are building it back up now, but it has taken, you know, a lot to do that as well. Mm. Gosh, I mean, it really is. I, I hate to use the word again, but unprecedented. And yeah. we're still going through it, aren't we? And having to adapt and I mean, I haven't got two teenagers at home, but I have got two boys. So I think yeah. I sort of... <laughs> you know where I'm coming from. I know where you're coming from. I do. <laughs> Even if one is a one-year-old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They come with a challenge. My dog at one point was a boy. I was like, hold on, I'm going to have with four men again. Out, outnumbered. Not that you're not used to that, Mandy, to be fair. I know, but, you I know. know exactly. Yeah. Well, that's what your career really prepared you for, to be honest, it is. isn't it? <laughs> right, absolutely right. That was all it was for. Yeah, preparing for lockdown. Ah, oh, um, you were you were just sort of talking about it a bit there. You know, you now have your own company, um, Hicks and Experience. Um, yeah. You know, and through which you use your experience on the the front line to consult for corporates, and you focus your sessions on things like overcoming the fear of failure, self belief, teamwork leadership the empowerment of your team and and much much more but tell us a bit more about your work now yeah so when I um, was coming to the end of my time in the air force I I retrained as an airline pilot because as I said that's what everyone was doing and one of the other things that I did was I also looked into becoming an instructor or facilitator in human factors training or human performance factors so basically all those things that you've just talked about the teamwork the leadership decision making all of the things that basically keep an aeroplane safe in the air 
Um, and it doesn't matter how much we put te into technology, it's always the human that messes up in the end. In fact, three out of four aircraft crashes are down to the human error. Wow. And so they devised a program and it was called crew resource management. Basically, it's all around human factors. And I retrained in this and I found it fascinating. It's almost like a touch of psychology, but it's also bringing in so many really obvious things. And as I was doing a lot of work with airlines, in the facilitation of this because it's a mandatory program that every airline pilot cabin crew and air traffic controller go through actually i was then starting a business in in speaking and i was going into different schools initially and then all the parents would say do you do businesses i go absolutely yeah i do yes. now i would say yes <laughs> exactly yeah. and then i think do i yes I do. Yeah. um <laughs> in fact i'd only ever done one speech i was telling the story of being shot at in iraq at a dinner party and someone said oh, can you speak at an event i'm like of course i can <laughs> yeah. so that was how it started basically but because i was running these two things in conjunction it was fascinating and i'd go to you know go into a business it could be a law firm in you know on blackfriars bridge for example was one of my first i said okay yeah. just tell me about your company what's your big issues and they say yeah culturally we've got a bit of a blame cut i was like oh uh, it. this is all the stuff we're doing in the airline world so yeah. i very quickly realized that all of the things that keep us safe that we were doing because of safety could be translated into business oh. and it translates straight into profitability profitability into happiness in the workplace into the empowerment of the team and there was so much to be done and i thought oh my goodness so i created hicks and experience from the front line and mm -hmm. i i basically weave all of those things that we've learned from aviation and put them into some really great um packages for businesses mm -hmm. so initially i started off just doing you know a couple but yeah it's taken me all over the world um as a consultant and and majority of the time it's, it's a keynote speak a keynote speaker still um that's mm. basically where a lot of people still want me to close or open big big events mm. which is fantastic because i i'm slightly extrovert in fact when you do the Myers Briggs, i'm as far e as you get really okay yeah 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 so my husband goes yeah you really couldn't be any further out there so i'm, like, <laughs> when I'm exhausted at the end of a week he says oh i just want to watch tv and i go oh no let's go out you know i'm yeah. energized by being with people and he goes I get that i'm so no, i really yeah. Yeah, very yeah, I, I think yeah. I'm more like, so is your husband the opposite, would you say? Is he's he... not the opposite, but he's very happy more to that way. Quiet, right? so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he definitely yeah. is much more introverted than myself and, and, and likes to recharge by spending time by himself, you know, whereas I'm, every time I choose, who can I see next? Where can I fit that in? Yes, yeah. I can put the coffee in, you know, that sort of person. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, wow. it's interesting. But no, I've, I've really loved it. And, and it, it makes you realize as well that we don't have to limit ourselves. So I had had this belief when I left the Air Force that I was trained to be a pilot and that's what I could be. And then it's when you start to look at the other skill sets that you've brought, you know, that you can bring to the table. My goodness, you know, someone that's leaving the military has an entire host of skills, mm. you know, especially around things like the project management, the teamwork, you know, they go into a business and they can add an enormous amount mm. to that business. Um, so yeah, I've worked a lot with different charities as well and um, different organisations about really looking at getting, you know, military people into yeah. workforces and also encouraging a lot of STEM because I think we still have an issue with young yeah. girls going into okay. certain careers. Gosh, both of those um, things are incredibly important, yeah. aren't they? And, and like you yeah. say, helping um, military or ex-military understand the value and vice versa of businesses you know bridging that gap and both knowing the value that they can have um that they can bring to an organization um so yeah that's such an important work and and stem as well you're absolutely right there's still we're still breaking down 
gender stereotypes and roles, aren't we, around yeah. that? And, you know, because how long ago was it that you were accepted into the Corps? How many years ago was that with, with flying? That, and 26 to... years ago I joined. Tomorrow. Wow. Yeah, amazing. Aww. You know, and so it's, we're still, yeah, we're still contending with those things, aren't we? So Yeah, yeah we are. I mean, there's, you know, you still can go into schools and I, I can still go to schools and if I don't have my uniform and then say, I thought we were having a pilot to talk to us. You go, I am the pilot. Am the, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah it's really interesting isn't it um but amazing that you're doing that and out of interest do you prefer do you think doing stuff with schools or businesses Speaking I, businesses. I love I love both actually quite yeah. equally and I genuinely mean that I'm not just saying that um originally it was a lot of schools then it started I realized that businesses were a lot more lucrative so I ended up doing a lot more businesses and I realized I really missed doing the amount of schools I was doing so actually I make a really big effort to carry on doing my schools because mm. I just think, you know, if I can change the, the mindset or change the, the flight path, should we say, of a yeah. one young person, and I'm not talking boy or girl, it doesn't matter, mm. or, yeah. or anybody, it doesn't really yeah. matter, it's not about the gender, you know, it's about creating a different mindset to say, oh my goodness, you know what, Mandy was from Manchester, dad was a car, owned his own carpet fitting business, my mum was a teacher, you know what, they, they hear Fast Jet Pilot and they think there's someone really special, but actually it's anybody can do it, but you have to want to do something, mm. and then it, I'm not talking about being just a Fast Jet Pilot, but I'm talking about having the mindset to have belief in yourself to yeah. follow your own dream and that you can achieve things. Yeah, absolutely, aspiration and belief, right, and then yeah. following through, taking action, yeah, and, I, and I, I desperately want to carry on doing that. And, and one thing that's been really wonderful, actually, in lockdown has been that I normally get asked to speak to, for example, a lot of air training corps, the, you know, 13 to 18 year old group run by the mm -hmm. RAF. And I can't get around the country and speak to 20 at a time, you know, here mm -hmm. and there. But, uh, you know, someone contacted me on Instagram who'd seen my book and they said, could you speak to our, our air training corps? I said, well, mm -hmm. why don't you speak? I'll speak to the wing, which was basically the whole of yeah. Greater Manchester. So I had like three or 400 cadets on the, on the Zoom yeah. or on the Teams call. And actually it means that, you know, this is suddenly an accepted medium. Mm -hmm. And I can sit here now on a Thursday evening for an hour and basically really get into the minds of, and try to inspire, yeah. you know, sort of three or 400 youngsters at one time, which is brilliant. It is brilliant. And and I'm sure that you will have uh, an impact on on so many of them, you know, and it's wonderful. It, it, I mean, that is that every cloud, right, has a silver lining. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I always a believer of that, you know, from every sort of dark place, you always get an opportunity, a glimmer of light, and it's about taking it. Definitely. And, you know, something else that you've seized opportunity on, you know, you recently published your book, um, An Officer and Not a Gentleman. Congratulations. It's been an Amazon bestseller for weeks, right? Yeah, I can't wow. believe it, actually. So um, I released it on the 2nd of June. I've sold about two and a half thousand copies. Um, it went to the number one in the aviation category um, uh, pretty much within about um, three weeks. And it's been staying there or thereabouts ever since actually so it's doing really well I've just re released or recorded sorry I've just recorded the audio book and um, that's been picked up by a publisher which is fantastic so I watch this space that hopefully we'll be able to I've decided to go with the publishing deal um, although I self-published on Amazon for my book because they said oh, we can get it into libraries and schools and I thought yeah. oh fantastic yeah, they knew how to sell it to you yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no I mean yeah but but that's that's really important I mean 
that's amazing. And how was it um, recording for? Um, I actually quite enjoyed it. Yeah. So it was a while since I'd read the whole book from start to finish. And so I found a wonderful gent who's got a studio down in the New Forest about half an hour away. And um, we went down and he was an ex-air traffic controller. And so he said, oh my goodness, I'd actually love to hear you. He said, what an honour. Yeah. The author reading her own book in my studio. So Amazing. the two of us sat there and I, we did it in two sittings, actually. In fact, on one chapter, which is called Conduct After Capture, or it's um, Capture on Becoming, it's all about survival training and being mm. interrogated um, in preparation for going to war. And it's a really brutal course and a brutal chapter. And I read it and I was so immersed in it that I actually managed to read the whole chapter without one mistake, which was and it's 45 minutes of speaking without one error. Um, so that was quite impressive actually. But, um, at one point I was reading it and the guy that was recording it for me burst out laughing. And I was like, he said, I'm so sorry. I've been holding this laugh in for like the last three minutes, (laughs) but the story got funnier and funnier. And he was like, Oh, so we're gonna to have to re-record that last bit I'm sorry oh brilliant so no, I think fun. there's something though isn't there about reading out loud it sort of helps you connect with the words a bit more so I can imagine yeah. that was quite an experience you know oh, there were a few. it was but there were a few tongue twister ones it was a hilarious <laughs> line which basically said um I remember it because I had to do it about six times it was absolute <laughs> alliteration in there and it was um Mr Seller could certainly stir something deep inside me I'll say it now <laughs> we're talking about Tom Selleck and basically I had a crush on him when I was at school and uh, I wired through the air training corps and it was I just couldn't get this word this phrase out it was in the first chapter I think this guy was thinking oh my goodness we are gonna have to record this about 50 it's gonna take like 50 hours to record it do you know what um, it sounds like there was more going on than it just being a tongue twister there maybe though right With the- oh yeah yeah exactly <laughs> It was fun. It was fun. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Oh, that's amazing. But well, look, I'll, we'll make sure that we include how how and where people can get um a copy of that. But obviously, it's selling through Amazon, so yeah, people will yeah. be able to find it pretty easy. But um, again, huge congratulations because that's you. just um yeah an amazing achievement. And look, we we've already sort of talked about um touched on quite a few things leadership, life balance, all that kind of stuff. And, and this podcast is, is very much about life leadership and really amplifying the voices of women like you that are living and leading by example to have, to have a positive impact for others, but also to be the best version of themselves. And, you know, you do an awful lot and you're a mum of two teenagers like we've talked about. I mean, firstly, where do you find your energy and how do you ensure you show up as the best version of you? You know, what does that mean for you? Um, so where do you find your energy? I'm a real believer in, um, you know, utilizing time for its best to the best of your own abilities. So, you know, like I said, right at the start, you know, I will make sure I go spinning every day. I will make sure I do a walk every day as well. And that's almost like non-negotiable. And yet so many people say, oh, I never get time for myself. Now I know I run my own business, so I do have that flexibility that I have now. And I know that's not the case for everybody, but you know, even down to that point of, um, you know, when I was working full time in the Air Force, I would take my mountain bike to work and every lunchtime I would whip off on it and get an hour's cycle in. Mm. And okay, I then would forego a lunch or, you know, have a cup of soup at my desk. But I would always make sure I did that because that was really important to me and having that time. And I think that's where, 
you know, I suppose you must see this in your coaching and mentoring yourself, mm. uh, Michaela, is that, you know, we, we don't think we have enough time. So mm. how do I find the energy? I, I energize like that. Um, mm. And I am a very sociable person. So I also energize very fortunately with other people. So doing the job I'm doing now, I love that. And that's how I energize. Um, but how do you show up as the best version of yourself? That's a really good question because, you know, that's been something that's really has been really genuinely challenging for me in lockdown. And I, I alluded to it earlier, that whole mm. being downstairs and, you know, having a big row with your children over homeschooling and why were they not doing this? And did, why did they not accept my help? And then literally walking upstairs and going, okay. And hi everybody, here I am to motivate you for an hour. Yeah. Um, and I always say, fake it till you feel it. You know, you might not be feeling that great, but you know what, when you put on, your work face when you put on a uniform when you put on a you know your lipstick and you say yeah. I'm at work and I'm Craig my husband kept saying why are you putting perfume on well a it was hilarious because yeah. I'd lost my sense of smell <laughs> I, said, I feel better so I would lift yeah. upstairs put some lipstick on put my eyeliner on and put some perfume on and it was almost yeah. like right and now I'm in work mode yeah and so I might have been feeling rubbish but you know what you've got to show your best face you've got to put energy into things and and you fake it till you feel it because actually guess what you might have been feeling rubbish at the start but by the end of it you think you're feeling quite energized yourself and you're thinking well I've worked it's worked then I've actually managed to motivate myself and I feel really enthusiastic now um so yeah I, I would always just say even if you're not feeling that energy pretend that you are oh. so talk yourself into the fact that you are and then you do start to feel that way Mm. that's really powerful isn't it it's realizing that we actually have the ability to shift our own energy even if we weren't feeling it before yeah. by having those little rituals that help us show up a bit of perfume a bit of lippy they're things that I've been doing as well so I yeah. totally relate on that one um we you know there's, there's kind of proven effects as well right it's, it's the physical stuff that we do or giving ourselves a shake or moving around a bit um all that kind of stuff but now, what I love that you were talking about at the start of that question was essentially making self-care and your well-being non-negotiable, right? There's mm -hmm. things that you do every day without fail. And, you know, we all, we all battle with time, but we all have the same amount of it at the end of the day. And it really is about how we use it, right? How we choose to prioritize it. Um, and it's being able to sort of recognize what feels good and what doesn't what energizes us uh, what, what drains us and all that kind of stuff yeah. and it sounds like you've got that that down I know it's an ongoing striving exercise <laughs> right ongoing. but <laughs> you know, I've not got it perfect at the moment no we know? never can right but it sounds yeah. like it, you're good at prioritizing that and, and I that try really, my hardest yeah yeah and then it shows um look you are um you know hugely inspirational and and you've sort of touched on people that have inspired you along the way, the two uh, ladies that have been, you know, part of your training or first lady to fly in the, the red arrows and, um, you know, and the other lady that you, you mentioned. Um, but I was going to ask you, who inspires you? Well, I do think we need role models. So I am actually surrounded by a wonderful family. So my mum was a huge inspiration to me. Um, she was a single mum bringing up two girls and um, she was an incredible role model. Um, my sister then was a, another absolute star. Um, she was basically wanted to be a doctor and was told that she, her grades weren't good enough and to, to set for something different and be a nurse. And she said, I don't want to be, I want to be a doctor. And they said, no, 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 you won't ever make it. 
Mm. And she said, well, just let me prove you wrong. And so she did. And she's now a medical director of a hospice. And I look at her and I think, you know what? You, you were told that you wouldn't achieve and you have achieved everything that you set out and way more. And I think she's a huge inspiration to me and to her patients and the fact she's chosen palliative care and she mm. works in this holistic way, you know, really, you know, changing the lives and making people's last days um, as comfortable, but also for their families as well. And she's, she's a huge inspiration. Um, my dad, again, you know, he has shown incredible grit and determination and resilience. He's basically ended up through no fault of his own going bankrupt on a couple of businesses, but always built up again, built up again, never just put his head down and said, I'm not doing it, you know. So he's shown amazing resilience um, in how he has been. And my husband as well, he's severely dyslexic. Uh, he left school with no GCSEs, nothing. And is now basically probably one of the most qualified airline training captains mm. that is, is in the UK at the moment. So, you know, he's as, as high up as you get really in the training world. And, and he's done that through realising that you don't get anywhere without hard work. So mm. hard work, grit and determination. And he is phenomenal. And, you know, he's also an incredibly loving and kind and true gentleman so you know yes I am lucky I am surrounded by people that inspire me mm. not on a hugely global level on a daily level and mm. I think if you can surround yourself and I've also got some amazing friends um for example this time last year and I have to share this so this time last year in two days time I was preparing to climb up Kilimanjaro mm. and we left on the 10th of October and I met 20 women from all over the world and we set off on this journey, which was pro proved to be one of the best experiences I've ever had in my whole life. Mm. And the 20 women I met have become genuinely closest friends. We meet up for walks. We, you know, we chat and it's just been one mm. of the most inspir inspirational groups of women I could ever hope to meet, really. Wow. And in fact, I've just been come back from a walk with the leader this morning, mm. you know, and and it's just wonderful that you can recharge and, you know, meet people. And it's never too late either to constantly meet new people. Mm. Do you know what? It's really interesting. A lot of um, all the ladies or a lot of the ladies, sorry, that I asked that question to talk about their family members right. as being a huge inspiration to them. It's a real, it, it keeps coming up. And I, I think that's so wonderful. If the people closest to you, that's where you, you find your inspiration and, you know, you yeah. talk about persistence, resilience, hard work, grit, determination, um, you know, all of those things we can all have and do, can't we? You know, there's nothing kind of, uh, say, special about those, but we, we all have the ability to, to do those things. And, and we can beat the odds, you know, sometimes with uh, then what, what we're wanting to do if we really want it enough, I think. Yeah, yeah you know? absolutely. And um, yeah you've nailed it there mm, but yeah really envious of your um i'd love to do something like that your hike up kilimanjaro oh, and, brilliant oh, it, uh, you yeah. know what? it's it's non-comparable if you ever get the opportunity and any of your listeners do seize the day because mm. i was standing there and this friend shardy said to me did i fancy doing it and i originally went no i couldn't possibly i'm very busy <laughs> and she said mandy you're always talking the talk maybe we should walk the walk now and i went yeah okay so yeah I spoke to my family i said do you mind if i do can i can we possibly mm. let this work and let this happen and and you know they said yeah go for it and so 
it was hilarious. I'd signed up for it and I was standing on the football pit, or the rugby pitches watching my son play rugby at the time. And I turned to this woman next to me and I went, oh, I can't hold it in anymore. I'm so excited. I've just signed to go up Kilimanjaro. And she went, oh, I'd love to do that. And I went, well, come. And, and, she, and she went, all right. And the woman next to her went, I want to. And, and we went down the line and five women all signed yeah. up. Brilliant. Almost, you know, literally that weekend, they all went back and they all went, I'm doing it. Oh, and so we ended up with this amazing group. Um, and I just thought, gosh, it all came from this conversation on the, on the rugby pitch. Wow. Well, that just goes to show, doesn't it? What can happen yeah. on the side of a rugby pitch? But, Absolutely. Um, who are you fundraising for? I fundraise actually for Winchester Hospice. We're trying okay. to build them. We don't have a hospice here in Winchester. So okay. we, between six of us, we actually raised over £30,000. Wow. That is incredible. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, if you can do something that is a bit of a, a bucket list, incredible experience for yourself and fundraise, why not? Right. Oh, so yeah. yes. yeah, one day fun. I'll be doing that. That's for sure. Yeah. When yes. Yeah, sure. Right. When he's a little bit older, I'll, uh, I can break free. Not break free. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? I've got yeah. a career. I can hand over responsibility somewhat once I climb up a mountain. Like, yeah. let's say, <laughs> Um, but look, you know, you have already shared so many uh, gems and pearls of wisdom and gosh, I, I could talk to you all day, but do you think that you could possibly share with us one powerful quote, mantra, tip or piece of, of, of advice that has really resonated or helped you along the way and you'd yeah. like to leave our listeners with? Absolutely. It's one I talk about all the time and it's about controlling the controllables you know, um, and I use this mantra even with my teens is that I can't control what they're going to behave like, but I can tr control my own response to it. So what can you do about your situation at this moment in time? It was something that we used in the military quite often, which was basically when something was happening, you thought it's overwhelming. There's so much information coming, but what can I do about it now? And, and you could then basically break that down into an action. Now, if you can't do anything about it, let it go don't let it consume your thoughts so so often we just constantly let things go round in our heads and we think why didn't i do it? could it you you haven't so let it go even down to and, and use this mantra you're on the way to a business meeting and you're running late and it's becoming more and more stressful you can either panic about what what can you do about it you're stationary in traffic so controlling controllables would be you contact the people and you say i'm i'm sitting stationary in a in a huge crash and i can't get off and, and then you go, okay, and there's nothing more I can do. So let it go. So rather than the stress levels building, take possession of that time and that moment. And I've done it myself, you know, and I was speaking at a really huge event and um, literally the, 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 the motorway just stopped and I had to contact them. And I said, this is the situation. There is nothing I can do about it, but why don't you slip me to the last slot? And they went, okay, actually there, there is a person here. They could do your what? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that plan ahead, constantly yeah. think, control what I can control. But, and, then I, and then I didn't arrive stressed. I arrived absolutely calm because I knew yeah. I'd done what I could. Yeah. I think there's something to be said with the old training around that, right? The proactive sussing out yeah. the situations yeah, <laughs> beforehand. Absolutely. But no, you're right. I mean, um, and I love that. And there is a lot to be said then when we can't control things for letting it go, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, ruminating is a biggie, isn't it? You know, a lot of the women that I work with, this comes up for playing over scenarios in our head. I could have said this, I could have done this differently. 
And, you know, I've recently um, read a book and I, I've recommended it. I don't mean to keep bringing up this mastermind, but it's just so relevant at the moment. And it was a book called How Women Rise, um, written by Sally Helgerson and Marshall Goldsmith. And I really recommend it. Um, mm -hmm. It's about um, 12 habits holding women back, basically. Mm -hmm. And the women just uh, on, in my group just absolutely loved it. And one of the ones that came up a lot, actually, was this ruminating. So your advice is just so relevant right yeah. in that you, you can't possibly control everything but the things you can control take action and then let go of the things that you can't and yeah. move forward so and my really other powerful. quote that i love is that uh, dream it believe it and do it and it's basically yeah. the thing i've taken out throughout the whole of my schools because we, we i always say you can have these dreams yeah. you even can believe that you're going to achieve them but unless you put them into action yeah. we don't do anything with them do we so it's that dream yeah. it believe it but then do it yeah yeah yeah, I'm all for that as well. I mean, gosh, you couldn't have couldn't have said it better. And Mandy, look, thank you so much. You have been an absolute star as I as I knew you would be. Um, I really, really enjoyed chatting to you. And and if people would like to connect with you, um, how can they do that? And how can they get a copy of your book? You know, tell us tell us all. Tell us how we, how they can do that. Okay, so I'm on all different social medias. So on LinkedIn, I'm just Mandy Hickson. Um, on most mediums, I'm Mandy Hickson or Mandy Hickson Speaker. So my Facebook page is Mandy Hickson Speaker, uh, as is my Instagram. But um, Twitter and LinkedIn are just Mandy Hickson. I have a website, which is um, Hickson Limited, um, which is great. And um, my book is available on Amazon. And if you just type in an officer, not a gentleman, mm. then it will take you directly to it such a brilliant title as well get a copy of that peeps get a copy but thank you so much um you know really enjoyed it i've taken so much away myself and um best of luck with the ongoing book sales and hopefully getting back to speaking at, at more gigs and stuff in person soon but i know you're already spreading lots of value through all of your your uh, online stuff too so may that continue oh, my pleasure. for you it's been okay. lovely to chat to you, Michaela. Thanks so much for Thanks inviting Andy. me. Take care. All the best. Thanks, then. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the She Almighty podcast with me, Michaela Jackson. If you enjoyed this episode, please add us to your favourites and check out our other episodes. We're still pretty new, so bear with us as we bring more inspiring interviews to you have a topic request let us know want your voice to be heard or know a live leaders that should drop us a note you can get in touch and learn more about us at www.shealmighty.com thank you for listening and being a part of the Shield Mighty community mm -hmm.